2: welcome to security and Secure, hosted by johnny seaford this is the celebrity mental health podcast where i say it's okay to not be okay and if you have the same mantra as me then before we get to today's guest please subscribe to security and while listening and at the end of the episode leave a five-star rating and a review now let me tell you about my guest today yesterday started his career at age 16 when he joined one of the most defining boy bands of the 90s the boy band five then the lights went out and he's gone on to do various reality shows and more recently he kept on moving to host one of my favorite radio hours each week on hits radio the sounds of the 90s he's back now with a new single sunshine and a new band the 998 so without further ado everybody get up i'm delighted to welcome to second to look at his mental health journey for the past 27 years it's richie neville hello mate
1: Johnny that was like one of the most professional like segue introductions with song titles and everything you've been doing this a while haven't you but I also
2: think I think it's one of those things that if you are from the 90s early 90s, so I always say 96 to 2003 are my favourite years of music. I think if you okay. ever interview someone from that era, you have to bring in all the puns of all the songs. I don't think it works at the end of the 80s stars, and it definitely doesn't work for the now stars, but I think that little era is where you can do those puns.
1: Well, I loved it.
2: I'm so excited to speak to you because I first interviewed you when I was a little whippersnapper, and I must have been 18 years old. And I was really nervous because I met you at the big reunion originally, and I was there to interview Atomic Kitten. They said, right, you've done Atomic Kitten, now you're going to have the next people, the Honeys. Now you're gonna have five. And I was like, oh my, what is got I, I literally felt like I was dreaming. It was the first moment I'd done a proper junk and I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. And so I didn't really know what I asked you. And I want to have the opportunity now to actually take me through that journey of five. Because for me growing up, I was watching on live and kicking every Saturday morning. Then yeah. I would see you on Blue Peter on a Wednesday afternoon. And so I want to look at it from the other side. Now that I'm 30 years old ago, what was that actually all like for you? So take me back. To that mm-hmm. 16 year old little Richie who saw that advert in the stage newspaper where it wasn't going on TikTok, it was physically picking up that newspaper every week because you wanted it. And you bought those papers every week and you looked at the adverts because you knew you were made to do this and you would do nothing else to get there.
1: Yeah, I guess that's an important part of you know my mental health journey was who I was before the band. Oh, it's made me go my hair stand on end. I was a very super positive. I remember having a careers meeting. And my teacher would laugh at me, you know, because he'd be like, okay, so what do you want to be? And I'd be like, I'm going to be famous, sir. And he'd be like, yeah, okay. And I really respect that that's what you want to do. But, you know, in reality, I was like, that is the reality. And I said to my friend, and I wasn't like arrogant with it, it wasn't an arrogance. I don't know whether you could say I either knew, maybe, I don't know, or I was so driven and, and this is where the law of attraction comes into it because I'm a big believer in that. You, your thoughts create your reality because I was a daydreamer. I didn't really care so much for academia and stuff. I did enough to get by and I was sat outside and I was visualizing walking out on stage, but I could feel the emotions. Like I really sort of felt it and lived it before I actually lived it. I said to my friend at 12 when I joined my new school, And he was a cocky little so-and-so as well. And it was our first encounter and I'm still friends with him now. And he was like, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And I said, when I'm 16, I'm I'm gonna go to London and I'm gonna be famous. And then, you know, it happened. He was like, wow, you told me what you were gonna do at 12, but then you went and did it. And it's kind of a strange thing that I can't even sort of really make sense of fully.
2: now in 2023 i've got a book i'm showing you on screen gratitude journal for men and i journal each day my gratitude i and there you go there's an example of the past two days and the questions you think you you, the questions you answer are today i feel i am grateful for and then Mm. i am looking forward to and you would have written every day i'm looking forward to being famous and so the law of attraction now, even more so than ever before, has all been about the energies and spirits going, what do you want to happen? If you say it loud enough, the spirits will answer you. But back then, that wasn't a thing. Yes, you would have said, I want to be famous. And, you know, most people would have said a footballer, an astronaut, or famous. But fame... No one really knew what it was. And obviously now we know it's all about the brand deal. So what did the fame mean to you? What was it that you actually wanted to do? Was it, I want to be in a recording studio every single day, chilling with friends, singing? Was it, I want to do that Saturday morning TV circuit? Was it, I want to be on stage at Heart
1: in the Park and whatnot? No, like, and I've analysed this. And I, you know, like I say to my daughter as well, because... I think that the obsession with fame is actually quite an um, an unhealthy one. Mm. Uh, and for for me, it wasn't so much the fame. It was like, an, I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but if I was in a school play or I got up and I sang somewhere, you know, there was a certain reaction that I could feel in the room that I was like, oh, it was just had something that was like, okay, maybe I'm more right at this. And I guess that was also part of it like that backed up. Actually, maybe I should go into this. Maybe I should do this. But the fame part of it, I like to create. It's the creation. And I believe that any artist of any genre, whatever you name it, like when I say genre I mean more medium, whether it's music, an actor, a painter, I think spiritually our job here is to connect people with their emotions and to make people, th- whether that's just to make them happy, like in a kind of, um, I suppose, like speaking from a person, you know, keep on moving or, or even like sunshine, you know, it's just a happy, upbeat thing. Or, you know, if you're acting and you just, you watch like some performances and you just go, oh, like I really felt what, what he or she was saying and, you know, in that scene or, you know, they really moved me. I, I guess it's that more than anything.
2: Who are you replacing? So the fact that you're so giving, the fact that you want to make a statement, the fact that you want to get those messages out there and create, who Mm. was not creating for you growing up that you had to replace that version with?
1: To an extent, and this is only a small part of what you've asked, I suppose, but Five, in in a way, without fully realising it, we kind of did want to shake up the boy band world a little bit because... At the time, all boy bands sang ballads. They all said that they didn't drink and they were virgins. We were just young lads that did normal stuff that 18-year-olds do or whatever, 17-year-olds. And so, you know, we kind of were honest about that. And when it came to the music, we were like, come on. Like, And we were encouraged to as well. Let's bring elements of rock and rap and hip-hop and funk and all those things so in a sense i suppose in a way there was that but other than like replacing i wouldn't say replace i would say continue with the people that have moved me if you like it's taken me a long time after the band to fully reconnect with okay yeah that's what makes me tick if that makes sense
2: That squeaky clean image that Boyzone and Westlife had to their fans, the fact that, you know, the female fandom that followed them versus obviously what the Spice Girls had at the same time as well. Where did Five fit into that scale of here's Boyzone, here's Westlife, here's the Spice Girls, but then you have Five and you've got East 17, which have been doing a little bit different, but don't fit the narrative for what the music
1: industry wanted
2: at that moment.
1: I think sort of obviously very different and by no means am I likening us to Oasis by any stretch of the imagination, but I watched a documentary just as a viewer and I watched, it's about Britpop and it was about how Oasis came along and they were so outspoken and vocal and you realised why they were the tabloid's dream because they just said it. They just said stuff that was so, people aren't used to people saying stuff and I think we had a touch of that in the pop way pop bands used to go around and they'd be like so nice to everyone and they'd be so professional and so perfect and we just weren't that you know we were uh, uh kicking off with each other if we thought somebody was being rude like be it a journalist or, a, or or whoever didn't matter whoever you know we would tell them i think to a point i guess maybe there was a an authenticity and an honesty about just how we approach things well i think it's also the time period as well if we think about it take that which
2: launched in about 92 they'd taken you know three or four years to mold themselves then you have as you say oasis and blur again 92 that by the time they're peaking in 95 96 that Britpop era was massive when you yeah. came in in 96 Really, it took you to about 98 to find your voice, and by that point, the boy bands had almost started coming away, and we started having an influx of now groups, so S-Cup 7, Steps, and suddenly you were part of that poppy world. Yeah. You'd left away the ballad world, you'd left away the Britpop world, so I think you probably took the lessons you'd learned and seen from those two eras and moved it through to the next part of the Perhaps. phase of that time. Yeah.
1: Uh, in, a, in a subconscious way, maybe, yeah. yeah, you're probably right. What's the most
2: showbiz story that You've now thought of of that time.
1: The first one is so minor, but I, I took a friend who was like a schoolmate to Nobu and like Dale Winton was just in the table across, and we knew each other from like TV shows, and it was all very, you know, oh darling, hi, you know. And he was like, Oh my god, that was so showbiz. I've never seen anything so showbiz. It's a you know, a minor thing. Janet Jackson coming off stage, us going out, and George Michael waiting in the wings to go on in our first single was a kind of a, a mad eye opener, just sort of strange, like what on earth is going on? Like I'm 17 and these are like two of my childhood idols here, casually coming off and going on stage and I'm going on in between, or we. So what know? did that
2: do to your validation? The fact that Richie, I want to be famous at 12 years old, You then get that fame. You're then around George Michael and Janet Jackson. In that Mm. moment, if you can think about that time, I'm interested about the validation you felt and if you thought mentally you had made it as you look back at
1: your mental health, journey at that point. There's two sides to this, and I'm actually going to give you an exclusive and a bit of a confession is in the past few months, just for very positive reasons, I've actually been starting to see a psychologist because I wanted to understand a few things. There was two aspects to it because I've always had a certain confidence. Not so much then, but obviously when you start clocking up the hits and, you know, there's people screaming at you everywhere you go, you can't help but go, okay, things are happening and, and all of that. But there was also an element of imposter syndrome because, you, you know, you're so young. And, and, you know, when I was 17 when I started. You haven't fully developed who and what you are as a human being. Uh, and as a person, and so that's why it has had such a profound effect on me and why it's taken two decades for me to be at the point now where I am in my head it definitely stifled my growth just being so all cameras all eyes every 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 movement scrutinized it made me kind of stiffen up I suppose oh, uh, I can't move I can't do anything and i wasn't a part of me wasn't quite ready for that I think I wish I'd have been about 2021. 20, I started I think I'd have had a bit more been a bit more myself uh, if that makes sense but I, you know I still got through it and I still did okay and it came up that it was like you can be confident you can have all these things but you can still suffer with low self-worth and that came out in the first 45 minutes of the first session he's like well from everything you've told me I'd say you have extremely low self-worth and it was like a penny dropped everything changed in that moment went, oh my God, yeah, I, I do, don't I? I? I went away and sort of a few months have gone by and I've gone, yeah, and it has affected my life. That That's where the imposter syndrome came from and kind of stuff like that.
2: Well, when you look at identity, again, at that time, having so many bands around and then you're part of a boy of five people, yeah. you are one little clog in a massive machine. You think about those Saturday morning TV shows, the tours you were doing, going to those big summer concerts, You were one person out of five people on stage in that moment, but there were what 60 other people on stage during that day. And Mm -hmm. so suddenly you're in this massive circle and you're probably like, well, who am I? Because I'm being pushed pillar to post. I'm not able to actually think for myself. And I'm doing what my managers are telling me at the time to keep them happy. Their bank balance is obviously going up. My bank balance is staying where it is because we know most money goes to the management. And you're like, well, who am I? Literally, as Will Young said in that song, who am I?
1: yes yes it was a strange experience and i'm not bemoaning it i'm super grateful for it i opened the brits with queen i jammed my favorite thing ever was jamming hey joe brian may and roger taylor right just off the cuff and it was a beautiful moment and i can't i'm not i'm not bemoaning it but there was that element of kind of just losing losing yourself yeah you're right you sort of not that I'd ever found myself because I was too young, but then he was just like, I don't even know anymore. That's why I never approached any kind of solo stuff. A, Simon Cowell got me in and he said, and this is nothing against Darren Hayes because he's a great guy. I know the guy, I've, I've met him, I love him. But just at the time, his music was my personal pet hate. I just wasn't into it. There couldn't have been anyone worse at the time for somebody to say, and Cal says, I want to turn you into the next Darren Hayes. And I can't, I can't. And I made some ballads. I remember sitting in my house and just playing these songs really loud. And I was like, I cannot walk out on a stage, look the audience in the eye and do this. I I can't do it. I just can't sell this. I can't do it. So I said, thank you, but no thanks um, to Cal, which a lot of people would be like, you don't do that. But... It's about authenticity, isn't it? I can't, I have to be true to myself. And I knew, I knew, like I said, you know, it's taken me two, two decades. Like I knew I was like, I'm, I need to go and just sort of like have some space and kind of sit with myself a bit and kind of figure out what that was. Not because I felt I'd been a bad person or anything, but I can remember I'd finished a recording session. I don't know why, but I'd realized that for a long time, I hadn't looked myself in the eye in the mirror. I was just staying in a hotel and I was sitting in a, a desk where there was a mirror in front. And I, I just quickly sort of glanced across and I realized I looked away from myself really quickly. And then I was like, hang on a minute. Why can't you look what you're not looking at yourself? Why, why are you, There was like a fear or a scare. I wasn't scared to look at myself. I remember I sat and I looked at myself in the eyes in the mirror and I was just sat there and I went, no, like make friends with yourself. Like, you know, I was like, hello richard like come on how are you you know how are you doing you know you're all right you're a good person just do you know what i mean and and kind of yeah just made a bit made friends with myself
2: Rena McCool was on Fern Cotton's podcast, Happy Place, about two years ago. And I remember, I've never forgotten this. It took her a year for her to look in the mirror every day and say, I love you and believe it, because she couldn't yeah. look in the mirror and say that. And I'll sometimes look in the mirror, I'll go, you're right, mate, you're right. And it does feel weird, but oh God, you've got to do it. Because that sense of belonging to yourself is more important yeah. than your sense of belonging to anyone else. And especially for someone like yourself, and same as me, when we work in the media and we're used to a way of life, you know, we both know the freebies, the people, all this celebrity stuff. We know it's not real, it's artificial, but when you're in it, it's yeah. incredible. As soon as you take yourself out of it, you go, Well, who am I? Where's my sense of belonging? You go really introverted because you're so used to being extrovert. As you said with Dale Winton earlier on, it is that. It is that case of everyone is a darling. Hello, darling. Oh, darling. Yeah, you're, and- yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, it's me trying to be like Alfie Moon and EastEnders. And then someone said to me a couple months ago, it's because you meet so many people, you can't remember anyone's names. So everyone is mate or darling or love because you generally don't know their <laughs> names. And so you yeah, take right, all that yeah. away. and You're like, well, who is a darling now? So what was your sense of belonging when you came out of five and you go, well, I don't want to do that type of music that Simon Cow wants me to do. Do I even like music anymore? You know, this is all I've ever wanted. And now I don't yeah. really know what's going on.
1: Well, that yeah, that was exactly it. And I'm like, you know, I'm fairly sort of spiritual as well, in a, in a sense. So that this will make sense. I'm just sort of giving you that piece of information. But I then, you know, I'd always been into like grunge music and like rock bands and stuff. And I actually just to, I was rebelling against my blue eyed boy image in the band. And I just grew my hair. And also I just wanted to piss mom off. <laughs> <laughs> because she kept going on about it. What are you doing with your hair? And, and it's, I, God bless her. Like, you know, she does care. It makes it sound like I'm not bad-mouthing my mom. I'm really not. But at this moment in time, she was like, what are you doing? Like, come on. You know, this is where you, your time, like, this is where you should be like. And I, she, I don't think she quite understood the inner turmoil that I was in. And so every time, you know, I tried to talk about it and I'd say, yeah, mom, I'm not feeling so great. She'd be like, what are you doing with your hair? Come on, cut your hair, make you." So every time she said it, I was like, scissors are going nowhere near it. Like (laughs) I'm gonna rebel against this and that's what I was doing. And I started this rock band and we were doing some writing and stuff like that. We went out and did a uni tour and that was great fun. I loved it. But then I'd lose my voice for about a week afterwards you know that was like what's going on what's going on and I went to see a vocal specialist and I had a polyp on my vocal cord it had to be operated on so that was me out for a while and I just was like I sort of saw that as a sign with my feelings and stuff it was like you are just not meant to be singing right now you are meant to be sitting and put and my girlfriend at the time was amazing like I mean truly amazing I think we sort of were both young and a little bit lost I was more lost definitely but and she really helped me but I just shut down, man, I, I just completely hermited. I was living in the countryside in Oxfordshire and would barely leave the door for about three years. Seriously, I hit the drink fairly hard at times and just kind of was like, well, I don't know what to do. And like you say, that sense of belonging because it was still in there somewhere. I remember we went to like uh, a pizza place, uh, me and, and, and the girlfriend at the time and Coldplay was on. And all of a sudden, I'm crying my eyes out, like, you know, uncontrollably. And she's like, oh, my God, what's the matter? What's the matter? And I was just like, I'll just never be part of music. Like, the music again. Not music, you know. But just, I, I, I still had that love for it. it. still moved me. And I wanted, like I said, you know, moving people and, you know, making people feel. And But I still wasn't ready. I, I was like, nah, no, I'm not interested. And I, I had a decade out of the entertainment industry completely, wasn't interested at all. Well, give or take a few sort of reality TV shows, which if I'm, if I'm honest, I didn't really want to do. I was doing them for the money.
2: Yeah, of course, pay the bill. Yeah. How much were you drinking at your lowest?
1: A lot, for a period of time. Three o'clock was my cutoff point uh, in the afternoon. I'd try not to drink before then. And then I'd just crack open a bottle of brandy and just swig it neat. <laughs> <laughs> that pattern. Uh, and that that was for a sustained period of time. That was because I couldn't laugh or smile or feel any kind of happiness. When I did get a you know, feel that kind of drink take hold, I started to be able to chuckle about it again. i kind of oh yeah, well. Whereas I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't before that. And then what got me out of that was I got really into Kung Fu and it was like a physical thing and it was more of a healthy thing. And I don't know, so I I, did that four times a week, three hours a day for about a year and a half and just, just got really into that and sort of cut back on the drinking and stuff.
2: So then you get yourself better by doing the Kung Fu, which is a great use of catharsis as well. The fact you're punching the air, you know, you can out of that an anger. Yeah. Let's talk happier things the 988 you've got a new single out now in your new band called sunshine which has one of the best drops of this summer um it's one of those songs i think which will be massive on tiktok because of that drop i can imagine all the clubs playing it i think the great thing as well is that i could see radio 2 daytime playing it as much as radio 1 evening playing it it's such a universal hit talk to me all about it my friend
1: Okay, so it's my creative sort of baby with Liam Keegan, who has been a very successful remixer. We've, we met a few years ago uh, on a writing sort of camp and, and, and got to know each other and we just started working together. And our rules are, there are no rules. And it was springtime, it was a sunny day. We wrote this song, it's a piano kind of house, pop crossover happy happy song like you say summer kind of banger style and we just thought yeah look you know we could get really complicated with the process and stuff or we could just roll with the punches and get it out there and just start the ball rolling and just see where where we end up you know it by no means defines our direction we're gonna just see where where we go we might go drum and bass we might go you know but it'll all be under the dance umbrella but sunshine is for the summer um and that's why we thought let's just do it let's just get it out there so
2: is this yeah. like a side project because obviously as a shabish journey you know i'm going to go with this um mm-hmm. spice girls might be doing glass next year steps yep. have just done their tour and they're doing brighton pride coming up s club are about to do the o2 obviously the question is is five going to be coming back together it's the only question you ever get asked anyway let's be honest
1: five is scott sean and myself it's three people but, you know, we regularly, regularly go out and do festivals and, you know, we're kind of on the circuit. And it, well, we're not kind of, we very much on the circuit. So five is together and the other two aren't a part of it. You know, Ab's left via Twitter a decade ago. We haven't spoken to him since. And Jay, you know, we don't really have any contact. So that's the the, the three people who want to be there are there. Have you come to peace with that
2: or through therapy so far, have you had those questions of, do you need to have that closure? The fact that it happened on Twitter, which was a public sphere, and it didn't, wasn't that one-to-one contact. Has anyone said to you, you need to have that own closure or you think that's fine?
1: We had a show on the Saturday. I think it was a Tuesday that that dropped. And we had a show in Holland, a big festival in Holland. And we just went, well, we're not going to let them down. So the three of us went and did it. And then we went it worked it, mm. it went really well so why should we not go and do what we love because somebody doesn't want to do it and whatever you know so yeah we just crapped on with it and and we genuinely have gone from strength to strength for a, a decade nearly now we've we've looked after that baby and nurtured that five baby you know and and really gone out and done the best job we can every single time and giving it our heart and soul so
2: Brilliant, Richie. Well, you keep on moving. If you are... Yeah, affected by... Thank you, thank you, thank you, Gangi. <laughs> uh, if you're affected by what you've heard about Rich talking about his addiction to alcohol, talktofrank.com is a website to use to get more information if you're about how much you're drinking. And if you love boy bands on Security and Security, we've got so many people from the 90s. Blues, Anthony Coston, Duncan James, Westlife, Brian McFadden, and A1's Mark Reader, to name a few. You've been listening to Security and Security with me, Johnny. See if you like what you heard. Please do go and rate this podcast, go and subscribe, click that ad button, and keep sharing it. Let's keep spelling the word. It's okay to not be okay. At Johnny Sefer at Johnny Seaford92 on TikTok at Skidinska Podcast and Instagram is where you can find me. Let's keep spreading that word. It's okay to not be okay. Let's keep talking about our mental health journeys and let's listen to some more 90s music. I absolutely love Five. The 988's new song Sunshine is such a good banger. Honestly, you will love that drop So go and check that out. I've been Johnny Stefer and I'll speak to you next week. Until then, thank you and goodbye.